Thank you so much. You can be seated. I um, am certainly grateful for this opportunity uh, to preach here once again at West Coast Baptist College uh, in your chapel hour and always consider it a great, uh, a great honor to be here. I love um, these Bible college environments, uh, the students, the excitement, uh, the passion uh, for serving the Lord. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. I hope that you uh, recognize and acknowledge just how blessed you are to be in a place like this. Uh, sometimes we, uh, we can allow the, uh, the cares of this life and this world and maybe just some of the little frustrations and things that happen from time to time to maybe uh, just become sort of a burr in our saddle and uh, to cause us maybe not to appreciate uh, what we have. And uh, I just want you to know that uh, you're in a very, very special place and uh, it's, it's always a blessing for us even to, to come out here and to spend just a little bit of time uh, here on this campus. I uh, want to uh, take just a moment and uh, I want to say what a blessing the student body of West Coast Baptist College has been to our church uh, on several occasions. I would guess probably five or six, maybe even more summers, we have hosted a, uh, a team uh, from the Jewish Outreach. And uh, Dr. Getch did ask me maybe just to say a word about um, the Great Lakes region, and of course that uh, is where I, I, I was born and raised and have been most of my life, with the exception of just a few years when I was away at Bible College, uh, I have been in the uh, Northeast Ohio area, and uh, Cleveland's a, a very unique place. Most of the cities in the Great Lakes region uh, would be what we would, we would term maybe Rust Belt type cities, um, cities that were built on really just the the backs of uh, the hard work of, of, of laborers. And um, we, we have in our church so many people that came uh, into, the, into the Northeast Ohio region from West Virginia and different places like that because they were told there's no future in the coal mines and you want to get out of the coal mines, that's a dangerous place to work and, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, contribute to the deterioration of your health. And so they told them to go to places like Akron and uh, Canton and Pittsburgh and Cleveland and to work in steel mills and, and uh, working in, in uh, building you know, automobiles and different things like that. Most of those industries have gone away. And uh, you know, the world has changed so much. And nowadays, uh, robots are doing so much of that type of work. And uh, as far as just uh, you know, putting things together and the old assembly line, I mean, there's still some of that going on. But the vast majority of that is gone. And, um, and, and so we, we, have a, we have a great group of folks that uh, really have that as their background and uh, gen generationally speaking. Uh, I was just interested to learn the other day the Cleveland Cavaliers hosted the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, Luka Doncic, of course, is a basketball player many of you would be familiar with. And, uh, and I just saw online a story about uh, the fact that uh, when Luka comes to Cleveland, uh, it is a place that embraces him, and the reason for that is more Slovenians live in Cleveland, Ohio, or in Northeast Ohio than in anywhere in the world outside of Slovenia, and I didn't realize that. I did not know that. We have a very large Ukrainian population uh, on Cleveland's east side. At one time, I don't know if this number is still correct, but at one time there were 150,000 Jews living on Cleveland's east side. And of course, those that come and work and labor among the Jewish outreach in the summer, that's predominantly where they concentrate their efforts and their focus because there's just so many people. So Cleveland is a real melting pot, and a lot of these other cities would be as well that you heard Dr. Getch mention just a moment ago. And so there are great, great opportunities. Uh, Cleveland Baptist Church has been where we are for 65 and a half years, and we've planted several churches even the last few years 
But I must tell you that we could stand 100 more churches in Cuyahoga County alone, and we still wouldn't be able to accomplish all that needs to be accomplished there. And so I know you're familiar. You're not far from Los Angeles. You're still in Los Angeles County. You know the need is great here. And I just have a little secret for you. The need is great everywhere. Uh, There's not a place that you could go that doesn't need the gospel desperately. And so thank you for giving your heart and your life to the Lord. And thank you for choosing to prepare here at West Coast Baptist College. Again, you're in a wonderful place. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's take them and go to Genesis chapter number 50, please. The 50th chapter in the book of Genesis is where we'll be this morning. And I will tell you that I have been, over the last several months, been preaching a series of messages on the life of Joseph. And I've always respected him. He's one of my favorite Bible characters but I have to tell you that this, uh, this series that we began in late summer of last year and that we're still uh, going, and I'll finish, I think, the last message this coming Sunday, has, uh, has absolutely caused me to see Joseph in a completely different light. And, uh, and, and he really is, if you study the Word of God, you'll find that he is a, he is a picture or a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind about that whatsoever. And we're going to see an element of uh, really who Jesus is in the life of Joseph here today uh, that, I, that I think will be a help to you. I know it's been a help to me, and I believe the Lord has uh, led, led me to, uh, to, to preach on this particular uh, text today. So if you'll look in Genesis chapter number 50, we'll begin reading in verse number 15, and we'll read down through verse number 21. The Bible there says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, And will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you, and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. The title of the message this morning is Forgive Like Joseph. Forgive Like Joseph. Someone recently happened to uh, drop into a, a souvenir shop in a very touristy type part of the country. And, and when they walked in, they saw a button that was for sale. And on the button, it just had this, uh, this slogan. It said, It said, to err is human, to forgive is out of the question. To err is human, to forgive is out of the question. You know, one of the most familiar and best known verses in all of the Bible is probably at the same time one of the least heated verses in all of the Bible. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus these words in Ephesians chapter number four, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We know that verse. We're familiar with it. Probably there's not a student at West Coast Baptist College that can't 
quote that verse, but the question is this, do you live that verse? The Bible also says in James chapter number 1 and verse number 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. I wonder how many of us have heard that verse. We know what it says. We know what it teaches. But at the same time, we're not really doing what it says. We're not really a forgiving group of people. It seems as if I have, if I have no problem hearing Paul's admonition to the Ephesian church, but I have a very hard time doing what he wrote them to do. I cannot expect others to be kind to me, to be tender-hearted toward me. I cannot expect others to forgive me if I'm not willing to show the same courtesies in my interactions with them. Why, by the way, why should we do these things? I, I love how the impetus to, to be kind and to be tender-hearted and to be forgiving uh, is based on God's great mercy and his great love and his great forgiveness and tenderheartedness toward us. In other words, there, there, there's not a thing, there's not a thing that you will ever do to me. There's not a thing that you will ever do to me that will eclipse what, uh, what, what, what offenses that I have brought before my Savior and before my God. And yet he forgives me every single time. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have been recipients of God's grace and forgiveness. Therefore, we should be givers of grace and forgiveness as well. In Genesis chapter number 50, just after the death of Jacob, Joseph's brothers fell into, into a mode that we might refer to as self-preservation. They falsely assumed that Joseph was just like most people, and that now with their father out of the way, uh, they assumed that he, uh, he was going to extract revenge on them for what they had done so many years before. They believed that he was as calculating and as conniving and as vengeful as they were. But if you, if, if you know anything about the life of Joseph, uh, you know that all along the way, Joseph is different. He, he's not like everyone else. He handles his business differently. He is a man of character and a man of integrity. Every step of the way, he has conducted himself differently. So it is not at all surprising to see him handle this moment that is brought to him by his brothers once again with grace and with dignity. His life is pleasing to the Lord, and it consistently aligns with biblical principles and biblical teaching. You know, as we examine this portion of Scripture, there's some things that we, we, we find in, in, in what his brothers do here to be positive. And at the same time, there's some things that we find to, to be in line with what really they've been throughout their lives, which is somewhat negative. I, I have to think that, uh, that, that Joseph, as he observes all of this, the Bible seems clear that no sooner had Jacob's body been put into the ground for its burial that the brothers were, uh, were, were there sending this messenger to him. And the Bible indicates that they did not come themselves, but they sent a messenger. And then, and then the, the source or, or the, the message that, that was contained, I, I have to wonder about this. The Bible, never, the Bible never sets the record straight for us. In other words, did Jacob really say these words that the brothers said he said? You know, I find it interesting if you study beginning really in late Genesis 47, 
and you study Genesis chapter number 48, and you study Genesis chapter number 49, you are going to find that Jacob has his family around him. He has his sons around him, and he is quite lucid in those moments to be able to communicate messages to them. Why, why, why is it that these boys had to essentially give a message to Joseph from their father from beyond the grave? Did Jacob really say this? Or was this just another, uh, another ploy in their, in, their, in their plan to just, again, to, to preserve their own lives? We really don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us whether Jacob actually said these words, whether Jacob felt like, you know, after I'm gone, Joseph is going to, you know, that's not what Joseph had been ever in his life, why Jacob would have thought that Joseph would be this after his death. We, we don't know. So there's some uncertainties here. By the same token, there's some positives here. I, I think it's interesting that, that, uh, that, that Joseph's brothers, they send the message, and the, in the message they, they convey, listen, they convey that what they had done all those years prior was evil and it was wicked to him. There, there's an attitude in some respects of acknowledging at the very least what we did to you was wrong, it was evil, and it was wicked. The Bible also indicates that when they did finally come before him, they followed the messenger. The Bible reveals that they, they fell down on their face before him. They assumed a posture of humility. To me, that's a positive. That, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm thinking that Joseph is looking at that and he's saying, okay, well, this is positive. And then if we look and we find in verse number 18 that, that after they assumed this posture of humility, the Bible says that they told him, behold, we be thy servants. And I have to think, well, that's a positive too. And so Joseph is faced here with, uh, with, with this idea of, okay, they're, 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 they're asking me to forgive them. And, 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 and you know how it often works with, with forgiveness. Don't we sometimes, before we extend our forgiveness, we try to determine the sincerity of the person who's asking for it. I, I was a youth pastor for 14 years. And I've been a pastor now uh, for almost five years. I've been in ministry uh, for, for a little bit over 20, 23 years in full-time vocational ministry, as it were. And periodically, I'll, I'll encounter a situation that needs to be dealt with. And it might be a young person. It might be a college-age student. It might even be an adult man or an adult woman in, in, in which they're confronted with something. And immediately, you know, it's a, you know the tears begin to flow. And, and, and they begin to cry out for mercy and for grace. And they begin to express just how sorry they are for what they've done. And I have to tell you, there have been times in which I've sat there and I've tried to determine, okay, is, are these tears, are they legitimate? Are these tears authentic? Are they real? Or are they just sorry they've been caught? And I've wondered about that from time to time. Perhaps maybe you've been in a similar situation like that where someone has offended you, someone has hurt you, and you're trying to determine, okay, you know, is this person sincere? If I forgive them, if I allow this person access back into my life, you know, are they going to turn around and stab me in the back again? And, and we, often, we often try to decide and try to determine about the sincerity, sincerity of a matter. All of us have experienced moments in, 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 in along these lines. And, and I'm, just here, I'm just here to tell you that if we're going to forgive like Joseph, we're going to have to remove ourselves from the position of, of being a judge. And really, as we consider this particular text, number one, if you're going to forgive like Joseph, you must first acknowledge that you are not the judge. You must acknowledge that you are not the judge. See, the brothers came to him. In this, in this posture of humility with this message indicating that what they had done was evil, they said, we be thy servants. And Joseph's first words out of his mouth were these, fear not for am I in the place 
of God. Abraham, Joseph's grandfather, said of God that he was the judge of all the earth. Joseph's forgiveness, therefore, was rooted in the fact that he had a clear understanding of who he was and he had even a better understanding of who God was. In other words, Joseph knew that he could leave his hurts, his, his hurts, his frustrations, his offenses, his wounds. He could leave those with God and know that God was capable of judging those according to his divine will. So often we want to hold on to hurts and offenses, and we want to look for ways to get even and to get back at certain people. And what we really need to do is we need to understand what Joseph understood, and that is this, I am not the judge here. I'm just simply not the judge here. I'm going to have to leave this in God's hands. Notice, notice as you think about this particular thought, and I think what Joseph was saying is this, number one, that there are some things that only God can judge. There are some things that only God can judge told you a few moments ago that I've had to deal with issues from time to time. And, and, and normally it goes something like this. Someone will come to me and they'll say, hey, I heard this or I saw this. So did anybody else see it? No. Does anybody else know? No, I, you know, this is, you know, or whatever. And I'll say, okay, well, I'll meet with this person. I'll bring the person in. The person will sit down in my office and, and I'll, I'll um, you know, I'll bring the situation to their attention and a lot of times it has been, that's just simply not true. That didn't happen. Well, this person, this person saw th this happen. They, they watched this happen. Now, I'm telling you, I don't know what they were watching. I don't know how, how they could have gotten this confused, but that's not what happened. And at that point in time, I've got a situation where I have one person saying it did happen, one person saying it didn't happen. There's no other witnesses. And you know, there have been many times where I've just had to look at both parties and just say, you know what, oh, maybe only God knows. I, I've been at this thing long enough to know that in every scenario that you have to deal with, there is, there is something that's, okay, there's his side, and there's her side, and then there's another side. You know the other side is, right? Oftentimes the other side is the truth, right? We, we, all, tend to, we all tend to form things according to the, the way that maybe benefits us the most, or perhaps the way that things look for us. And you know what I've come to the realization? I've come to the realization that there are some things that only God can judge. I have to leave it in his hands. Now, there, are, there are perhaps people in, in your life that are, that are walking around today and that are enjoying life that you feel like they've never paid for what they did to you. You feel like there's a severe, massive injustice that has been done. Maybe it's to you. Maybe it's to your family. Perhaps maybe your dad is a pastor and someone in your dad's church or uh, in the church that you attended, maybe someone really hurt your pastor or hurt your family or hurt you, and you feel as if they got away with it absolutely scot-free, and they'll never pay for it. And I'm just here to remind you, as Joseph had to remind himself and had to remind his brothers, listen, there are some things that only God can judge. And we just need to leave it in his hands and know that he'll take care of things. Joseph understood his limits. He understood the boundaries to his power. He understood that there are some things that only God Almighty can judge. There will be matters you encounter in which they are beyond your ability to figure out, beyond your ability to judge. Perhaps you'll never be able to get to the bottom of the matter or figure out who really did what or why they did what they did. There are mysteries in our world to this very day that have never been solved. And people have gone to their grave wondering who, who, who kidnapped my child? 
Who, who, who killed this person or that person? Who stole this money from me? And, and, and they've gone to the grave never figuring that out. And I'm just here to tell you, listen, there are some things, there are some matters that only God can judge. Last week I sat in the living room of a, of a, of a person that I am familiar with and they felt like something had really, really been unfairly done to them. And I'm, tell, I'm, I'm telling you, as I looked at this dear individual, I said, unless you get a hold of this, unless you move beyond this, it will, it will absolutely destroy you with bitterness. This is an older lady, and, and I think maybe perhaps some of the things that she says, there's some validity to it. I think she also has maybe not a complete understanding of everything that's gone down. But I'm just here to tell you, listen, this, these are real problems people are dealing with. There's a very good chance that you'll live long enough, maybe even some of you have already experienced this, in which you have some questions about things and you feel like some people have gotten away with some things. And I'm here to remind you, are you in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? There is a God in heaven who is the judge of all the earth and he will set things straight according to his divine plan and according to his divine will. And that leads us to the second thought, and that is this. If we're going to acknowledge we're not the judge and we must understand there's some things that only God can judge, but also we must resist the impulse to usurp God's role as judge. You see, Joseph had a decision to make here. He had a choice to make here. His flesh, no doubt, his flesh was like your flesh and like my flesh. All of us are the same. And no doubt his flesh wanted to extract some role of vengeance against his brothers for what they did. And he certainly had the power to do so. And yet, with incredible self-control, no doubt being spirit-filled, Joseph resisted the impulse. He resisted the urge uh, to, to usurp God's role as judge. You know, many times as human beings, we like to think about what we would do if we were God. And I have to tell you, that's a dangerous game to play. And sometimes we, we think things like this. We, we might say, well, I, if I was God, I would do this or I would do that. And I just have to pause for a moment. I just, I can't speak to you, but I know I can speak for myself. And I just want to say this. You all better thank the Lord that I am not God. Because I, I, I would make a mess of things in a hurry. And truthfully, I think I could probably say the same thing about you. I'm thankful you're not God either. No matter how godly you may be and no matter how spiritual you may be, I'm thankful that there is someone supreme above each and every one of us. Who, who makes perfect decisions and whose will is perfect and his timing is perfect. Listen to what the Bible says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. See, some of you, you're sitting here right now and you're saying, you know, I want to hear this message, but you just don't understand what this person did. You don't understand how this person hurt me, how this person offended me. And I'm just, and, and I don't understand why God has not dealt with them and why they seem to be doing so well today. Doesn't it seem like because of what they did, they should have to pay for this in some way? And there is a God in heaven who whispers so gently and lovingly and kindly to us in Isaiah 55. And he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Ezekiel 18, 29 says, Yet saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. Did, did, you, know, did you know that there have been people saying that God is not fair for thousands of years? Ezekiel addresses that here in his, in his book of prophecy. He said, the house of Israel says the way of the Lord is not equal. The house of Israel says God is not fair. And I'm telling you, it'll ruin your ministry. 
It'll ruin your life. It'll ruin your family. It'll ruin your church. It'll ruin your Bible college if enough people get this idea, this thought in their mind that God is not fair. You know what God has to say in Ezekiel 18 and verse number 29? He says, you say about me that I'm not equal. He says this, oh, house of Israel, are not my ways equal? God says, I am right. And then he says, are not your ways unequal? The truth of the matter is, when we're crying out, God is not fair, God is not right. If he was fair, if he was right, he would have dealt with this, he would have dealt with that. And at the, at the end of the day, God looks at us and God says, you want to find unequal, look in your own life. You want to find unfair, look in your own life. My ways are right. My ways are equal. Your ways are are unequal. Joseph was a man like you and me. He had suffered great harm at the hand of his brothers. He likely had some opinions. He probably had some thoughts and some ideas on what should happen to them as a result of what they had done to him. But he wisely, he wisely resisted the urge, the, the impulse to usurp God's position and God's place as the judge of all the earth. And so today I'm here to tell you that no matter what's happened in your life, no matter how hurtful and how painful it was, you and I can forgive like Joseph when we first of all acknowledge that we're not the judge. I don't, I don't sit in a courtroom over the people who have offended me. I leave that in God's hands. There's some things that only God can judge. And if God is going to judge those things, then I have to resist the urge. I have to resist the impulse to usurp his authority. Notice secondly, as we continue our journey and trying to forgive like Joseph, we see not only that we must acknowledge we're not the judge, but number two, we must look for the hand of God in our hurt. We must look for the hand of God in our hurt. Would you look in verse number 20? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph acknowledged that they had hurt him. They had wounded him deeply. He said that they thought evil against him. How, how do you respond when someone, when someone you know thinks evil against you and maybe even advances to the level of doing evil against you? You know, most of us, we experience the various stages of grief that I think sometimes it's referred to as. So, so the stages are you get hurt, and then that follows with a period maybe of sadness. And then as you think on it more and more, it develops into maybe what we would, we would term as anger. And then as we think about that anger and how upset we are with what that person did, it's not long before we're looking for ways in which we can get vengeance on that person. Joseph's story illustrates there's something better you can do in your hurt than just simply be sad, angry, and vengeful. We can and we should look for the evidence of the hand of God at work in our lives during these moments. We do believe in Romans 8, 28, don't we? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. We believe as Bible believers that God's word is inspired throughout. We believe that every single word was carefully chosen by God. Therefore, when God's word says, and we know that all things work together for good, that means all things work together for good. That means, that means if you look closely, you should be able to see the hand of God in your heart that you should be able to see some of the things that have, have fallen out in your life and you should be able to see that in the moment that you dealt with it, it was hurtful, it was painful, but I can see God was at work. God was doing something. I have to tell you, that's a real struggle for us. 
And if we're going to see the hand of God at work in our hurt, we're going to have to exhibit two very, very challenging characteristics that are so opposing to our flesh. Number one, we're going to have to be patient. We're going to have to be patient. When Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery, he was 17 years old. He was just a kid. By the time he could finally, by the time he could finally see what God was doing. By the time he could acknowledge the hand of God in his hurt, now get a hold of this, he's now 30 years old. So for 13 years, the ability to see what God was doing in all of this was very, very foggy. He couldn't see it. I mean, you know that when he was betrayed by his brothers, he was taken down to Egypt. He was sold as a slave. And, uh, and of course, we know that Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, tried to uh, lure him into an immoral relationship. And he said no over and over again. She lied about him and he was put in jail. He spent a period of years in jail. And it wasn't until he finally came out of that and he could see what God was doing in all of that. Listen, there were at least 13 years that passed. So for 13 years, he just had to wait on God. He had to be patient. He had to simply trust the Lord. Hey, listen, I have good news for you. Your God is worthy of your trust. When you cannot see exactly what it is that he's doing and why he's doing it and why he's allowed this into your life or that into your life, and you think to yourself, God, this doesn't make sense. Lord, I can't see your hand in my hurt yet. It's still painful. It's still difficult. I'm here to remind you that you can trust God, but you must be patient. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I'm reminded of the thought or the idea that it, you know, it takes time to, for a planted rose to bloom. And it takes time for the snow and ice to melt and for green grass to sprout. It takes time for an artist to put the finishing touches on his canvas revealing a beautiful portrait. And sometimes it takes God some time to reveal exactly what he's doing in our hurt and in our trials and in our lives. And the only thing that we can do is just simply trust him. Isn't that what some of the great characters of the Bible did? Job said these words in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 13, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation. He's saying the very person who's slaying me is the very person who's going to be my salvation. Job said this in chapter 23, verses 8 to 10. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. Job is saying just as Joseph was in a foggy period for 13 years of his life, and he couldn't exactly figure out all that God was doing. Job said the exact same thing. He said, I looked ahead of me and I looked behind me. I looked to my right and I looked to my left and I could not see God's hand in any of it. But here's one thing I know. He knoweth the way that I take and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The Bible says in Proverbs 20 and verse number 22, say not thou, I will recompense evil but wait on the Lord. Be patient, and he shall save thee. Not only are we going to have to be patient if we're going to see the hand of God in our hurt, but number two, we're going to have to be selfless. We have to be selfless. Notice what Joseph says. Joseph says not only 
Did God mean this unto good? And it took me a while to figure out exactly what God was doing. But notice, God meant it unto good for what purpose? Was it just Joseph so that you could wear really nice clothes and sleep in a palace every night and hold a royal scepter and have servants doing all of your bidding? God did all, God did all of this just so, so you could simply have, have, uh, have lots of wealth and prestige, lots of honor and popularity. Is that, is that really what this is all about? Joseph said, God meant it unto good. And what good was God doing in all of this? Was the good just in the life of Joseph? No, Joseph said this, God meant it unto good to, br- to, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. You know what Joseph came to the realization? Joseph said, this whole thing was not about me. Then this whole thing was not just about how it would benefit me and the good that would come out of it for me. No, this whole thing was, was, was what God was doing to save the world. Now think about that for just a minute. See, if we're going to look for the hand of God in our hurt, well, we want to see, okay, how does this benefit me? I just have to tell you that if you're really going to see the hand of God in your hurt, it may not necessarily just be about benefiting you. It may be that God has brought you down this winding journey of hurts and offenses and wondering whether God was ever going to make this thing right to bring you to the point now, listen, where you can be a help to others. The Bible is pretty clear in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Sometimes God brings us through trials so that he could reveal himself as the God of all comfort. So that, listen, so that we can learn that about him so that we could turn around and we could comfort others with the same comfort wherewith we were comforted of God. In the year 2007, I was fairly new in the ministry. I'd only been in full-time work for about six and a half years. And, um, and, and, and I, I remember that summer I, I had gotten, I'd gotten a, bunch of, a bunch of funeral opportunities, opportunities to preach funerals. Most of them were not connected at all to our church. It was people that didn't really have a church home. They would call Cleveland Baptist. And do you have someone that could do this service? There's some Baptist, you know, in their background at one point or another, you know. And so, so I would go. And I just have to tell you, to, to my own shame, I have to tell you that I, I, got into, I sort of got into the mode where I would just go and I would show up and I'd preach the service. And there really wasn't, there really wasn't much, um, you know, much, much, thought in my mind of what was happening and how these people were grieving. I had my message preached. I was giving the gospel, but I, I really, I really was, it wasn't all that personal to me. I didn't know the people. And, and as a result, I was sort of just going through the motions. Late that summer, late August, we, we knew my grandfather was not in the best of health, but we got word that he had passed. Within a couple of hours of him passing, my, my, my mom had reached out to me and she had said one of his wishes was that you would preach his funeral. And I have to tell you that when I, uh, when I stood there that day and I preached that funeral, it was, it was totally different. I mean, all that summer, I'd probably been in 10, 11 funeral homes, standing before groups of people. The people that had died were all ages and all stages of life. And, and it, was just, it was just very, it, w- it was just very get in and, and, and just do it. And, and again, just, just sort of going through the motions. And when I, stood, when I stood next to my own grandfather's casket, that day was different. It was different. And I learned, listen, I learned some things that day. I learned that God is faithful and that God is real and that God gives comfort. 
And I'm just simply saying, listen, sometimes, sometimes the hurts and the difficulties that enter into our lives and the things that we wonder, why hasn't God dealt with this? Why hasn't God dealt with that yet? Sometimes God is using that in our lives, not for our own benefit and for our own good, but that we can turn around and bless others with it. Joseph said, Joseph said, listen, this, is, this was never about me. God did all of this, and I can see what God was. For 13 years, I couldn't figure it out, but now I can see God did all of this so that I could be in a position to save much people alive. In other words, listen, this hurt, this wound, this offense was not so that someday Joseph could live a life of luxury and ease. No, this, this hurt, this wound, this offense was to the glory of God to save much people. And if you're going to see the hand of God in your hurt, you're going to have to be selfless. And you have to understand, this isn't about me being comfortable. This isn't about me uh, having good things. No, no, this is about God using this and using me to be a blessing and help to others. The third and final thing, if we're going to forgive like Joseph, number three, we must stop the cycle. Would you look in verse 21? Now, therefore, fear you not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them. And spake kindly unto them. In his book, Lee, The Last Years, Charles Braceland Flood reports that after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky lady who took him to the remains of a, of a grand old tree in front of her house. There she bitterly lamented and complained that its limbs and trunk had been destroyed by northern or federal artillery fire. She looked to Lee for a word condemning the North, or at least sympathizing with her in her loss. After a brief period of silence, Robert E. Lee said, cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. Cut it down and forget it. You know, we live in a world that responds to hurt with more hurt, don't we? Someone once said it like this. They said, hurt people hurt people. Most families and relationships, they're sort of structured like this. You have acts of love that are responded to with acts of love, and you have acts of evil that are responded to with acts of evil. And I have to tell you, the negative side of this cycle is vicious, and it ultimately leads to destruction. In Joseph's case, his brothers had done absolute evil to him. They had betrayed him. They had sold him. And if, and, and, and if he were most people, he would be looking for a way to perpetuate this cycle. He would, he would think to himself, okay, this is what they did to me. I'm now in a position where I can get revenge on them. Ha, I wonder what I could do to them. But is that what he does? No, listen, if we're going to forgive like Joseph, we, we've got to stop the cycle. Perhaps maybe there's a student in here today in which in the last week or last month or maybe the last semester, someone in your dorm or someone in a class, someone did something to you that was hurtful, that was offensive, and you carry the scars and the wounds to this day, and all along you've been plotting your revenge. What good is that? I'm here to tell you to, to cut it down and forget it. Stop the cycle. What did Joseph do? The Bible says that instead of, instead of getting revenge, he says, I'm going to nourish you. The Bible says that he comforted them and he spake kindly to them. You know what he did? He ended the game right here. He said, he said no more. We're not going to go back and forth like this. It's done. I forgive you. Here's the question as we conclude this morning. Who, who does Joseph look like in all of this? 
in reality, could we not better say, let's not try to forgive like Joseph. Let's forgive like Jesus. Because isn't that really who Joseph is emulating here? The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he reviled back, no. When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he made sure that those who did evil to him, he got, got no, he, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judges righteously. That's our God. In the same book, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, finally be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love is brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. You want, you, want to know how, you want to know how to have revival in your life? Is learn how to forgive like Jesus. You want to know how to have revival in your church? Learn how to forgive like Jesus. The, the offenses will come. Jesus made it pretty clear that you're going to get hurt in this life. Learn how to forgive like Jesus. You want to have revival at West Coast Baptist College? You want to have revival in your dorm? You want to have revival on your basketball team? You want to have revival on your bus route? Wherever it is that you may be, listen, figure out how to forgive like Jesus. Stop the cycle. Today, stop it. Some of you, you're plotting things right now. Just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity. Give it to God. Acknowledge you're not the judge. Look for the hand of God in your hurt. What was God teaching you in all of this? And stop the cycle today.